asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking atrocious auto pay, the high cost of working from home, and IRS coming for savers. That's right, buddy. This is our Friday flight, and we're going to discuss the top stories that we came across this week and how it's going to impact your wallet. And by your, the way, or your purse. The IRS likely isn't going to show up whatever at your it home, is you keep your money. But in. you might get an unexpected tax bill. That's what we'll talk about. Yeah, we will talk about that later. By the way, did you see that, um, speaking of tax write offs, Facebook is no longer going to be accept, or they're no longer going to be footing the bill, I guess, for the credit card transactions when you donate to a nonprofit via. Facebook. I did see the, that. The platform. So okay. I have a friend who runs a nonprofit, and and because of that perk, and because of the fact that her nonprofit accepts donations via Facebook, she reached out to me proactively and was like, "Hey, just wanted to let you know, oh. I know you love <laughs> donating via credit card through this way because you get the perks without having to pay the additional two point nine percent processing fee or whatever." But that will no longer be the case at yeah. the end of this month. So if you're like, "Yep, I, I donate through Facebook, and I like to use my credit card and get the points or rewards or whatever, maybe meet a, a spending threshold to See, get the that's, bonus." That's what's I've only used it a couple times, but in both cases, it was to do that. Yep. It was to hit that spend threshold. It was such an easy way of going about that for spending, in this case, giving, yeah. that you're already, already going to do. So it was, a, it was a win-win. And now Zuckerberg, his philanthropic uh, <laughs> help, and get, he's just not going to do that well, anymore for us. Credit card fees, man, they're impacting everybody. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't fault them necessarily for no. making adjustments and, say, and realizing that, all right, we've got to, just like everybody else out there, who whether it's cell phone companies who are offering discounts on, on, on plans, or in this case, they're, they're just saying, 
we're not quite willing to cover the cost of it anymore. But yeah, but yeah, you've got a few more weeks. Well, or a couple, I guess. Yeah, not not, not yeah. much longer. You you got to get it in there. Two and a half weeks. And, before and by the way, we'll November, talk, we'll November talk is here. More about year end giving before the year is out. But it's it's time to start thinking about that. And remember that you don't necessarily get a tax write off for every single donation that you make. But at least in the case of Facebook, for now, um, for just a couple more weeks, you get uh, you get to be able to you get to donate with a credit card without getting stuck with the processing fees. But that's going away soon. That's right, man. Let's dive into it. Let's get to our first story, which is about the EV tax credit. Basically, the good news keeps on rolling for potential EV buyers. Prices, they've been going down significantly, and led in large part by Tesla. They, they've slashed the prices on most of their models. I've seen you salivating over the Tesla prices. Yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> but starting in January, new EV buyers are going to have the ability to get their tax credit in the form of an instant price cut at the dealership instead of having to wait to get it back on their tax return the following April, which is a long, that's a lot of time, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if you were looking at potentially doing that sooner than later, you could be waiting like, what, 16 months before you actually saw that credit, before you, you felt that yourself. Yeah, you know it's coming, but you're like, hand is out. Massively delayed response. Waiting for the long arm of the government to actually stick the money in your hands. Yeah, lawmakers in D.C. are currently working with dealerships across the country to, to help them to get up to speed on this process and how it's going to work. But we still want you to know that there are income limits in order to qualify for that tax rebate. But how much nicer is it going to be to not have to, again, just wait around? Because that's a, because of how large the tax breaks are, the, the rebate, it has a serious impact on, I think, on a lot of EV buyers' oh, yeah. decision to make that purchase. The, the it's, value. It's not like a $200 little bonus, right? right? It is thousands of dollars. The value proposition between a $40,000 car and a $32,000 car is is massive. It makes a big difference. And so yeah, this new perk, by the way, it applies to used EVs under $25,000 as well. Those come with a tax break of up to $4,000, which you can only get from a dealership, of course, not from a private sale, because there's all sorts of ways you could hoodwink the government, I guess, if you were doing a private sale trying to get the rebate back. You'd be like, yeah, I bought my brother's <laughs> EV and sold it back to him, and we both get the discount. <laughs> Account, right, but yeah, dealerships are essentially going to be reimbursed by the federal government within 72 hours of you making that purchase on a used or new electric vehicle. And don't forget, by the way, that these tax credits are going to be around for years. So even though this change is happening January 1st, there's there's no rush necessarily to head in on New Year's Day to the dealership and, and buy that electric vehicle. Well, one, maybe your gas powered vehicle or your older electric vehicle is doing just fine. And That's, so and it's paid for. Yeah, by the way, don't let this necessarily drive you to do something crazy, but. Also, competition in the EV space is increasing on what seems like a daily basis, right? And so there's going to be more and more options, hopefully even more price competition in the space. And you can still get this, this EV tax credit a few years from now if you want to wait. By the way, one of our favorites, Matt, Rivian, or one of my personal favorites, they're uh, having a tough time reaching <laughs> profitability. And even though the average Rivian costs $80,000, which is way outside of my budget, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that, that outlined that every vehicle they make cost them $110,000 or more Ooh. to actually produce. So, uh, yeah. I, I Not great for Rivian. Not great for Rivian. <laughs> yeah. And unlikely still that I'm going to find myself buying one. But I think what you said is true. Fingers crossed that as we continue to see just advances in technology and prices declining, the ability to snag a, an EV a couple years down the road. That's what, I've, that's what I'm hoping for, mm -hmm. personally. But uh, speaking of cars, the average annual cost of car ownership has skyrocketed. It has gone up more than 13% from last year, up to a $12,000 
average according to AAA. That's a thousand bucks a month. Yeah, that's a lot of money, man. And so, which makes us want to encourage folks to consider, honestly, just walking more, maybe consider biking a bit more than you have previously. And I say that knowing that a lot of folks aren't going to do that. Actually, there is an article in Bloomberg this week which found that biking to work. Unfortunately, it is not gaining any momentum. <laughs> it's not gaining any steam, which means that we've kind of failed in our mission to get more folks to bike more often. Folks are commuting via bike less often than they were 10 years ago, which is honestly, it's, it's, it's tough to stomach. It's sad to see that this is the direction that we're going. I uh, kind of like a knife through my gut yes, when I saw that. because we want folks to consider how much money they could actually save. And according to the latest data, they'd be able to save more than we've ever seen before. The stakes are higher, right? As yes. the, the, the average annual cost of car ownership goes through the roof, and then you're talking about a thousand bucks a month. Well, every mile that you don't drive, you're putting money back in your pocket. And, and that's even more true, by the way, if you drive a truck. And so it, it might be time to consider ditching one if you don't necessarily need it right some people drive a truck just because it's like i like the truck right i like i like my the bed in the back and the utility to be able to potentially but are you using it yeah right and so when you look Bring at the numbers from the store you're going to pay over a dollar a mile to run a, one of those bigger bigger beefier trucks and closer to 60 cents a mile driving a compact suv the type of car that you drive matters. And so does driving an older car, right? Because you take so much less of a depreciation hit. The older the car that you drive, it means there's just less value to be lost, which is sure. helpful to your overall personal finance situation. But uh, and driving less does too, right? Right. So back to your point, Matt, walking and, and yeah. biking more is going to make a difference in keeping that car off the road, keeping your car in better shape. Less, fewer repairs, less gas, all that kind of stuff too. And so, yeah, maybe we'll try again in the style of Don Quixote to push How to Money listeners to dust off their bikes and hit the streets. Because, and I realize if it's you a live great some, time of year to do it, by the way, it is. It's, it's perfect weather out there. You and I, literally this morning, we rode back from dropping the du- little dudes off at daycare. So freaking nice out there. Couldn't be better. This this fall is the best prime bike bike riding season. (laughs) And I get if you live like 40 miles away from your job, right? That's a big ask. But could you at least just hop on to get your groceries? Because every every little bit matters. And I think we've talked about this before. Something like 50% of our car trips are four miles or less. And if we could hop on the bike for those. Very bikeable distances. Even just for those, that would make a big difference. And guess what? We'd be healthier too. We'd be in that fresh air. We'd see our neighbors. That's the other part of it too. It's, It's not that you're just reaping the financial rewards you are going to be healthier as well even if you opt for an e-bike which because guess what you're still going to be moving your body a lot more on an e-bike than you would just sitting in your car as you you commute to work a friend of ours garrett he reached out and was just like hey dudes i think he did this a year ago but he just we don't see him so (laughs) (laughs) i think it was out of sight out of mind but he texted us and was like after listening to a bunch of how to money i sold my car and i bought an e-bike instead and he bikes to work every single day now so some people are doing it awesome yeah some folks are doing it don't don't be we shouldn't be too down on ourselves but we obviously want to see that trend continue and there's just dude there's something else that you gain so yes you're going to be healthier yes it'll save you money but you just develop a sense of grit right like you realize that you are more capable of doing things not just biking but Beyond that, I feel like it has Mm -hmm. this ability to spread into other areas of your life where you realize, oh, man, I am capable of so much more than 
you would typically give yourself things you for. thought were hard before become just a little bit easier because you're like, eh, I, I mean, I, I figured this out. I, I can figure seven, this out. Seven miles to work in the cold or whatever, and so yes. I can I can handle this or that too. One hundred percent. Yeah. All right. Well, um, how you get to work matters less than whether or not you show up. By the way, so you got to show up to work. That's <laughs> that's, that's important cause it, for uh, to keep that paycheck coming. And by showing up, by the way, I mean going back into the office. And we've seen lots of companies pushing for this mass migration back. They want all their workers to come back in. They're kind of forcing their employees to come back in at least three out of five days. And sure. some are saying even more than that. But a, a new survey shows that even if your employer isn't necessarily forcing the, the issue, making you come back in, you might want to consider heading back to the cubicle life voluntarily. Why? Well, because you're far more likely to get a raise or a promotion. And so a survey of CEOs found that nine in 10 say they're going to give more pay, better positions, and superior assignments to folks who are in the office regularly. And this is like... Uh, That's incredible data. Yeah. 90%. Uh, all odds point to you getting paid more were you to show up. It's not shocking to me. It doesn't surprise me yeah, that it makes sense. CEOs and the, the managers and stuff say, hey, if you're in the office more, you're likely going to, to benefit financially and career-wise. So I see this data and I'm like, makes sense to me, but I also get the reluctance because work from home is so alluring. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so hybrid work, right? So the ability to work from home some of the week, but at least going into the office, let's say three out of five days, right? Mm -hmm. Like doesn't have to be like a cold turkey on or off switch, but especially for how to money listeners who are earlier in, in their career, I think it could pay even more because as you are slowly kind of climbing that ladder, you're learning how things work. It could make a whole lot of sense to make sure that you're there at least three, if not I don't know, maybe four. Consider going in five days a week occasionally. Yeah. I mean, I think those benefits can accrue to people of all ages and in a whole bunch of different you know, fields of work. But I think you're right. The biggest benefits go to people who are earlier on in their career. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the biggest downside of going into work are those additional costs. And we, we just talked about commuting. But a study finds that the average employee spends $51 a day in order to simply go into the office and... Not surprisingly, they highlight commuting and food costs are the biggest culprits. And so we've already talked about the commuting aspect and how maybe you could sort of mitigate those expenses by biking, perhaps maybe even taking public transit. But let's talk about the... Or, or carpooling. Or carpooling. Yeah. You have someone you, Highly underrated. One of your coworkers lives close to where you work. Like hop in the car together. That feels like so old school and antiquated, but it's... I'm telling you, it works. Like, yeah. It's a great way to save money. But let's talk about the food costs portion of, <laughs> of what they found, because this is something that's near and dear to my heart. We're, that's right. We're going to talk about leftovers. <laughs> for, okay, dad. For a second. When we, when, when 40% of our grocery bill literally ends up in the trash because it's food that we don't actually eat, this, this is an area that's ripe for us to be able to cut back on, mm -hmm. on our expenses. And like, it is a, it's a, it's a lose, lose situation when we don't eat that food, because what happens? Yes, we are not consuming the groceries we've already purchased. But then on top of that, what are we then doing instead, in particular, when we're going in to the office because we don't have lunch? Well, then you go out to eat and that which is perhaps the most expensive way that you can feed yourself. Yeah. And leftovers can be great. I'm by proud the way. to say that you and I are 
I feel like you've kind of gotten more on the leftover train. I have, dude. I I open that fridge and I see your little Tupperware container in there with a couple <laughs> with a couple eggs, and I think that's that's a man after my my own heart right there. Fry up a couple eggs, put that over some leftovers that you want to heat up. Yeah, you got to make sure you get enough protein. Well, my lunch today <laughs> literally steak and eggs. It was protein heavy, so uh, I had I had chicken pozole. I got it. So good. Got to eat some veggies for dinner tonight. But <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. The, those are the those are the costs that some of those are hard, hard costs. They're they're impossible to avoid. Other costs. Are, are more flexible. And especially when you're talking about the trade-offs of being able to advance in your career, make more money, it, it might be worth spending the, um, the the dollars, the gas, the added miles to your car to get into the office to make sure that you're, you're showing your face and you're doing good work and Absolutely. your bosses know that you exist. But here's the other thing. The other side of work from home, and I read about this on Tyler Cowen's blog this week, Marginal Revolution, he, he talks about how work from home tends to make people more productive. And so in some ways, like I get the, the call to work from home. One, you can do it in your PJs, you can do laundry at the same time, but also you might actually be getting more done. But here's the thing. Uh, when you dig into the data, the productivity boost from, of working from home, they, they come largely from working more hours, lengthening the workday by almost something like 10%. And so, hey, are you more productive? Yeah, but if you're spending more time or on the computer... Or is it because you're actually just working longer, yeah. which is what seems to be the case, as opposed to you being able to work at a higher level within the same amount of time, right? right? So I feel like there's like a jumble. I actually kind of feel the opposite as far as the ability to focus and to more efficiently get work done well, in, that's, in, that's in, because, in an office setting. Well, that's because you're not working in an office environment where there's 50 coworkers and, uh, you know, because it, it, totally it's just the true. two of us. And so yep. we can be really focused. But I think in those... We don't have a massive open floor plan right. where folks are just dropping by, wanting to right. have a quick chat when I would say... Oh, actually, in that case, you should email me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the biggest downer to working in the office is you do feel like you're not able to get as much done. And that is because more of your time is sucked up via the commute and via coworkers dropping by. And some of that's like true healthy, right? Like seeing the people you work with and having those spontaneous interactions. Last week, a little bit, just the socialization and the connection to other people. Yeah. You can't discount that. It's just like a jumble of data here. And so there is, you've got to, there is no holistic prescription. It is is very much individual to your own situation, but take all all these things into account when you're kind of trying to figure out where do I want to work? How much am I going to work from home? Should I go into the office more? And even if, let's say, your employer allows you to work from home as much as you want, maybe showing your face at least a couple times a week could be to your benefit. But I don't know. You got to think about all the stuff. And I get that long commutes are a pain in the butt and you might sure. actually be getting more done at home. But hopefully, hopefully you're still keeping your hours. Yeah. Maybe instead we can use that time saved that was previously spent commuting towards more beneficial or other related areas. Not related, but just other areas that are also important, like your physical health, relationships, things like that, mm-hmm. as opposed to just working more. Yeah. But uh, all right. We've got more stories that we're going to get to. We will actually share our thoughts on whether or not we've changed our opinion on financial advisors, right? With the interest rates being where they are, are they still necessary or as not necessary <laughs> as we've previously said? We'll get to that story plus several others right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. 
Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back. As always, it's time for the ludicrous headline of the week at this point in the Friday flight. And this uh, article comes from the Wall Street Journal. And the headline reads, Autopay is making us worse at managing credit card bills. And Matt, you and I, we talk about automating your finances pretty regularly on the show. It seems counterintuitive. So this one caught my attention. I was like, what are you guys up to, you tricksters at the journal? Uh, But the the truth is, it's mostly a good thing to have (laughs) bills paid on repeat, right? Without having to log in or remember to make those payments every month. Makes me think of, um, not to throw you under the bus, but you forgot to pay our rent this (laughs) this month. I did. And our our landlord was like, he was, hey, dude, it's it's the ninth. Are you guys going to pay rent? Did you pay it? It it was a few days ago. It totally slipped my mind, which I felt terrible about. And by the way, I actually, I set up our, so I always pay via Zelle. And I didn't know this, but you can set up recurring payments via Zelle. There you go. And so guess what? You're back, on, on, you're back on the automatic yeah, payment train. Yeah, he's, he's going to be uh, getting paid on the first of every month for our little office here. But yeah, even though he's a he's a friend, I don't want to... Take advantage of that. I don't want him to be in the position to where he has to come knocking. Right. And he's like, hey guys, uh... Well, he knows. <laughs> it's like it's like once. We pay on time, yeah, right? Most of yeah. that. But thanks for the, uh, the grace. You're right. <laughs> but a new study <laughs> finds that folks end up underpaying when they auto pay. How does this happen? Well, the crux of the problem is that people are not signing up for the full statement balance mm-hmm. option. Mm-hmm. when they set up that auto pay, right? And so uh, a good chunk of folks are choosing to auto pay the minimum balance and then they never go back and change it, which obviously means they're racking up a whole lot yeah. of interest because they're not paying off that balance on time and in full, which is 
pretty much the number one <laughs> rule of credit card usage. And so, Matt, you know, we we love auto pay, but the truth is, make sure you're signed up to pay that balance on time and in, in full, full every single month. Yep. So if you're going to do auto pay, and, and then also make sure that you've got the necessary funds at your bank too, so you're not getting an auto draft fee by having insufficient funds when that credit card. Uh, bill is supposed to be paid. So both those things are really important. But I guess I never really thought about how this could come back to buy people setting sure. it up on auto pay but only paying a fraction of what you owe. Well it's it's it doesn't it optimizes things when it comes to convenience and ensuring that you don't forget to pay anything. But I, f- I feel like a downside of auto pay is that a lot of folks just don't look very hard at their actual spending because that bill, it just gets paid like clockwork, mm-hmm. right? They don't notice that they maybe perhaps spent a little more that month or maybe they ran the AC a lot more than they had previously. Which is why I hate budget billing, yes. right? Because budget billing is totally set up to get you to not really care about how much energy you're using it's all about it insulates well, you from your your behavior and your yes. usage and you might that's what i don't like about after it. the course of a year see a slight bump up right in your in that monthly budget billing amount but you're not actually feeling the pain of the usage kind of closer to the the time when you use it yeah so so in this way i feel that setting up auto pay or an auto draft or auto zell whatever it is it, i think it works great in particular when you have a set amount like our rent doesn't fluctuate on how often we're here, <laughs> right? Like it's the yeah. same amount. So that's one that's like 100% a bill that should be on auto pay to where I just don't have to think about it ever again. But when it comes to uh, areas of spending where we have more control over, whether it be because we're consuming more or because we're consuming, yeah, more utilities, whether it's gas, water, or electricity, this is a way that we could potentially be spending more money than we otherwise would. It's important to track your spending. It's important to look those bills in the face even if you are signed up to have that that bill automatically paid on or before the the due date yeah. so that you can be not only informed from a, a knowledge like from a like the information standpoint but just to kind of like feel it in your gut so yeah. like it's where it's visceral yeah yeah so i think you and i were still pro we're still in favor of automating your finances on so many levels we think especially when you're talking about investing or when we're paying debt but you got to do it the right way and that means paying the full bill not just a fraction of it and that means also like you said matt being aware of what you're spending looking at it every single month so that it's not completely in the background and that you're not oblivious to what's going on with your finances totally there's an upside but there's a potential downside at the same time Mm -hmm. uh, that you want to avoid all right let's talk about christmas shopping and there is there's new holiday shopping data out these are predictions about what's going to likely happen with holiday spending this coming year uh, in the next couple of months. And it looks like folks are planning on ramping up Christmas spending in a big way this year, right? Gen Z and millennials are planning to increase their spending the most by something like 14 to 15%, which sounds like a lot. It does. Why the big jump? Uh, and there's nothing wrong with buying gifts for the people that you love. And inflation, of course, means that those gifts are likely to cost more this year than they did last year. But our advice to you is to start preparing now. If you haven't already, the best time to plant a tree was like a long time ago. (laughs) The second best time is now. And so the way you avoid credit card debt is to be proactive. Come up with a list of folks you are planning on buying something for and a budget associated with each one of those folks as well. And then be funneling extra cash into savings now so that you aren't left in the lurch or that you're not swiping the card that you can't actually pay off uh, in full come January. That's right. Yeah. Every single year, uh, right after Christmas, we do hear from listeners and they've kind of gone overboard when it comes to how much they spent. They, they regret it. And we want to 
basically kind of give you some permission to spend less. It is okay to have a conversation with family members about budgets, about expectations. Makes me think of our minimalist Christmas episode with Meg Norman a couple oh, years. Yeah. We, uh, we should link to that in the show notes. We should. Yeah, that's a good one to, to start thinking about now uh, because, you know, we don't want you to go into credit card debt pretty much any type of spending and consumption, we don't want you paying interest on that. But we also want you to be careful using buy now, pay later as well. There's a new New York Fed research that found that buy now, pay later users are what they call financially fragile. And it's not even because they don't make enough money because many folks are actually well off, but they're still living on the financial precipice. Yeah, it's not a lack of income. And it's like, oh, I have to use buy now, pay later because I can't necessarily afford to pay for the item in full. It's that people have become addicted to these services. Yeah, their spending continues to keep up with how much they're earning. Mm -hmm. And they never get to a point to where there's actually margin in their lives and they're able to sock away a little bit more. But uh, our biggest problem, too, with buy now, pay later is just the behavioral reaction that it creates. Because when you, again, when you disassociate the act of getting the item from paying for it, like uh, Buy Now Pay Later does, it just leads to a payment buyer mindset. Is this something that in the moment or maybe tomorrow, next month, will I be able to make that payment? I think so. Mm-hmm. Let's go for it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, our I'm, best I'm, advice is just to just avoid this completely. Uh, avoid Buy Now Pay Later for holiday spending. Um, and honestly, really, like at, at all other times as well, not just now at the during the holidays. Yeah, and, and not that I, I, there's so many brilliant, awesome people in Gen Z. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but I was talking to someone who's quite a bit younger than me recently, and she was like, yeah, it just makes it easier to buy those nicer jeans when I spread out the payments. I'm like, that's, I know, that's the point. That's what they're trying to get you to do. And the thing is, feeling the pain is actually a good thing. <laughs> and so if you can't truly afford the item and take the painful step of buying it in one fell swoop, then you should avoid it and wait and save up until you have the money to sock down. But I think because it makes it feel emotionally easier yep. uh, and financially less onerous to, to buy via buy, buy now, pay later, that's why they become so popular. Yeah. And, buy now, and, pay later is like budget billing yeah. for your pants. And they, yeah, right. <laughs> and they're creating these bad habits that people are, are you know uh, getting, getting into. And it turns into a terrible cycle where people like are do more and more buy now pay later because it's so easy and it's so swell and then they realize wait a second i've taken on way too many payments and now uh my savings have become depleted Mm -hmm. well speaking of savings savers matt are mostly satisfied these days it's been a really tough slog for many many years at least a decade for anybody trying to save money because rates were in the toilet and so saving money it kind of felt like repeatedly getting punched in the gut even though you had savings on hand because you had to because personal finance, right? You have to have emergency fund. You have to have three to six months of, of savings in hand, liquid. And then even as savings rates were going up, well, inflation was going up faster. And so real returns were still negative. And so it was like, woohoo, savings are going up. Oh, crap. Inflation is still ruining any attempt on making it saving more. That's not the case anymore, though. People who are have more money in saving now, who, who don't do business with the big banks, by the way, because... That's important to mention. Those big banks pay almost nothing on your savings. They're making real money on their cash. And so that is good news. But I think it's also important to mention that if you have a long enough time horizon, we still don't want you to be too cash heavy. Because like we talked about with Paul Merriman on Wednesday, we're talking millions here. Mm-hmm. And so the, the money that you're able to stock in the market, yes, your savings account can earn you five plus percent guaranteed, which is great. But the, the market over the long term is still going to provide higher returns. So don't bank too heavy on cash, even though, woo, that's a bright side. And then one downer, <laughs> let me let me say that, these higher interest rates on savings, 
which equal bigger returns, which means, yeah, you're actually going to get paid real money on that money, are going to mean higher taxes. So watch out for the, the 1099 INT that you're going to get early next year, especially people who have like, you know, big five figures or they're getting to six figures in savings mm. they're gonna they're gonna be shocked uh, i think to see the 1099 int and they're gonna be like i didn't i didn't realize i owed this much in tax just That's because right. i got higher returns think of it almost though as like a success tax right like this isn't necessarily something you should be mad about but you should be prepared for a potentially higher tax bill if you've got a significant chunk of change within your high yield savings account uh, one other impact of the higher savings rate environment that we're in, this is uh, at least according to Bloomberg, is that these higher guaranteed returns are making financial advisors less attractive, which doesn't make a ton of sense in, in my book. Uh, again, like you're talking about with Paul Merriman, you need to be investing your money. And I, like when I see headlines like this, it makes me realize that folks have too sh short term of a view or mm -hmm. take on their finances. Because if something like, like the interest I can earn five percent, I don't need you anymore. No, exactly. As opposed to like there are legitimate reasons to consider a financial advisor. Like oftentimes it's gonna come with like a major life change, like if you're gonna have a kid or if you're getting closer to retirement. Those are good reasons to consider a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. Not oh, interest rates, oh, it's better than ever before. That means uh maybe I shouldn't consider investing that money when in fact, no, you do need to to be investing that money. Um, personally, if if I've got a financial goal that's beyond right, like three to five years, I feel very comfortable investing that money. And that's because of the three or rolling five year returns. The chances are the, the, the percentage that the market is actually going to go up is very, very high. Mm -hmm. It's not guaranteed, <laughs> but it's a much higher chance than it going down. So something to consider if you have some of those longer, I don't, I don't call them longer term savings goals, but like a medium term saving goal, savings goal, something beyond three, three to five years, uh, you should likely be investing that money, not socking it away into your high yield savings account. Yeah, I don't know if I'd actually agree on three years. I think a three-year timeline is like real shady about what you should do. Five years for sure. I think it, you can you can be more of have an investor mindset. Yeah, three years you're trying to protect some of that capital, and with higher savings rates, I might I might be inclined to lean more in that direction, or yeah. at least half. I and think half. so. Historically, I think if uh, every three-year rolling period, I think it's something like eighty-four percent of the time the market goes up, and at five years it only goes up to something like eighty-eight percent. Yeah, so it's actually. But beyond five years, of course, like the more years you have uh, in order to, to see that money grow, it's the chances of it going up are higher yeah, and higher. You got to take all but that into consideration. Exactly. And 100%. I think 100%. going back to what you said about advisors, it makes me think of something that Paul said on Wednesday. And he said something, if you're willing to take the 50 to 100 hours it takes, and he likes, he said that's about how much time it, it takes to feel like you have the information and the confidence to actually go out there and, and go the DIY investing route, then you might not need a financial advisor to at least help you with the investing side of things, right? Sure. It, it, can, it can ensure that you have the information and you're taking the proper steps to invest your money thoughtfully, reducing fees, putting it in the right funds. You've got the long-term mindset. Mm -hmm. And I think he's right. I think it probably is somewhere in that 50 to 100 hours. And if you do that due diligence, then... And, and you know what? You probably need to do some of that due diligence anyway to know the right questions to ask a financial advisor that you might hire. Yeah, you got to be well-informed before you even start to have that conversation with a fee-only fiduciary yeah. advisor, which is what we'd recommend if you want it, to see an advisor. It's the exact same thing you and I talk about when it comes to real estate. And if you're going to hire a property manager... Well, guess what? You probably should have done it yourself for a year at least anyway, so that you have an idea of what the job entails, so that you know the right questions to ask when you're hiring them. And it's the, sa it's the same thing when you're talking about a financial advisor. Like, yeah. you, you're more likely to get hoodwinked if you have no idea what questions to ask you might 
you might end up with a financial advisor who has you know, different sorts of incentives that aren't aligned with yours. That's right. But that being said, everybody's different and everyone has different needs as to what they're what they're looking for when it comes to investing and the kind of, you know, the, the different kinds of assistance that you need. So we'll link to XY Planning Network, as well as NAPFA, which is the National Association of Personal Finance Advisors. Yeah. Both of those offer, have a nice network of fee-only fiduciary advisors. Yeah, a lot like of those incentives can set you straight. are aligned <laughs> before you even pick the exact one because of the website and exactly. the vetting they do on the front end to ensure that these are advisors who are going to, who are fiduciary fee-only advisors who are going to do and help you in a way that doesn't screw you over. So it's a bunch of folks who are in good company yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> with each other. But uh, that's going to be it for this Friday flight. We hope everyone out there has a great weekend, and we will make sure to link to some of the different resources that we mentioned during this episode up in the show notes at howtomoney.com. So that's it, bud. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.